I'm pleased to have joining me on the show. Well, I guess we could title it X Petra Singer, but also kind of new Petra Singer in between Petra Singer. But I have Greg X Vols joining the show. Thank you so much for joining me, Greg. Hey, it's good to be with you. I don't know how you would deem that. I mean, it's kind of everything there, isn't it? Uh, you know, it's like uh, before and after and then again. Who knows? <laughs> you know, life is just full of surprises, isn't it? It is. <laughs> And, and who would have thought, you know, you know, God has blessed you with a voice and uh, nothing against getting older. But uh, what are you about? Seventy two now. Seventy two. Yeah. And, and seventy two. <laughs> and you're still blowing people away with your voice. It still works. It you still know, works. it still works. I, I have to tell you, I've, I've been very uh, blessed, but also I have done my best to take care of my my voice. And so, um, and I, I have to work at it when we're getting ready to go do a concert. I have to, you know, spend like a couple weeks of working, getting callous. Because when you don't sing all the time, uh, it's not there unless, you know, you work work to it. And uh, if you go for the note and it's not there, it goes, it goes weird. Um, but um, if you rehearse and work on the callous, and rehearse, you know, all that. It, it's just a lot better. But it still works. Praise God. Yes. And, and thankfully, because I'm actually going to get to see you for the first time live coming up. I believe it's now May 20th at the Restoration Church in Alpharetta, Georgia, for the Classic Petra Resurrection concert. So I'm, I'm very happy that I'll get to see that. I know most of the Petra lineup will be there, minus Bob, but... Uh, if you don't mind, before we kind of get into the history of you, tell me about that show coming up. Well, uh, I, it's a suburb of Atlanta, correct? Mm -hmm. Okay. And um, as far as I know, um, we're going to play all of the Petra, classic Petra favorite hits, you know, songs. And, uh, of course, Tommy Brown, who's, who's been associated with a number of members of the band for uh, a long time. Uh, he he came and picked us up in um, Nashville and drove to the the show in uh, Branson. He said, "You know, I, I think I want to. I think I can get some guys to do this in uh, in Atlanta." And I said, "Okay, do it." So lo and behold, he actually is pulling it off, which is good. And, um, and there'll be actually. We're doing another concert the first weekend of May in Orlando, Florida. It turns out, I found out it was confirmed tonight, that uh, for the International Christian Film and Music Festival, largest one in the in the world for Christian films, and uh, for some reason, well, I'll tell you why. My oldest daughter is in the film industry, and she mentioned something, and somebody said, well, uh, I... I think that they ought to just have you guys come in and they've never done it. Have them come in and do a concert. So, lo and behold, we're going to go in and do a concert on May the 5th All in right. Orlando, Florida at the Wyndham, the Wyndham Hotel Ballroom, wherever that is, on the International Drive at, at 8 o'clock. The real, like 2022, yes, this year. Right. So, that should be interesting. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. You know, the Lord is up to what he wants to be up to. We just make ourselves available, and if people want us to come, we'll come. 
Well, I'm sure there's a lot of people that do want to still see you guys. And thankfully, you're offering that platform. And Tommy is the one that kind of put me in touch with you and, and said, hey, you should interview Greg. And of course, I, I would love to and I want it to, but thankfully, he kind of made that happen. So I have to thank yeah, him. Yeah, well, God bless him. You know, we, we, uh, we like him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he appreciates that. He probably does. If he's listening to this when he's played, he'll say, did he say he liked me? Yeah, he said he liked <laughs> me. Okay. <laughs> How much is he supposed to pay you for that again? I can't even tell you. I just, uh, it, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, you'll have to, you'll have to call somebody else and ask them because <laughs> I can't talk about it. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to that. Hopefully I can meet you in person when the May 20th sure. show comes up. Absolutely. Uh, sure uh, let's kind of let's touch base on you, and I know you've done hundreds of interviews in, in your career, if not more, obviously, but, uh, you know, people kind of maybe not familiar with you and your history and maybe newer to some of the old Petra stuff, you know, can discover these things hopefully by listening to this. But kind of going back to you, what was your influences as musicians or singers when you were growing up? I, uh, I had an older brother, 10 years older, who was a, a rock and roll star in the 50s. Um, his first band called the Rock and R's in '56. You know, the first record was Gold. You know, and then they did wow. the American Bandstand with Dick Clark, and then he joined a band called the Swinging Lads. Ended up in Las Vegas with the show band for seven years, playing the big rooms. And his, you know, close friends were Eddie Fisher and Louis Armstrong, and he he knew everybody. I mean, it was a big deal. And they did the Ed Sullivan Show three times, Dean Martin Show. Hollywood Palace, all the t all those old television shows, and and as the as I grew up, um, when I was seven, he bought me a set of drums and set them up down in the basement of the, of the house, and uh, I started whacking on drums at seven, and then went to a ukulele, then went to a tenor guitar. At Thirteen, I got my first real guitar, which I paid nineteen dollars for. And the strings were about an inch off the neck. But, and uh, me and my cousin, my older, my older cousin, started a band called the Wombats. And, uh, we, you know, it was Everly Brothers, Roy Oberson, that kind of thing. But when Beatles hit in 64, it t totally changed our influence. So um, the Wombats became kind of like a, a pseudo Beatles band. I mean, suits, Beatle haircuts, Beatle boots, you know, we played state fairs, county fairs, whatever they, any place, you know, sock hops, if you know what that is. Yeah, what uh, what area were you whenever, playing, or did you grow up and you were playing this? Illinois, mostly Illinois and uh, Indiana, and we didn't, you know, as far as we could drive, because, you know, I was still in high school, and um, so... Uh, we signed a first. I signed my first recording contract in '65 with with Golden Voice in uh, South Pekin. Interesting. That's the same studio that Petra recorded their first album, where Ario Speedwagon, Ario Speedwagon recorded their album, where Dan Fogelberg recorded, where blah blah. It was like he was Larry um, Jerry Milan was really one of the foremost 
ahead of his time guys. And he built his studio in the middle of a cornfield. And because of the sound quality, and we recorded on four-track Scully. I don't know if you even know what that means, but I don't think I it was half-inch tape. Okay. It was Scully was the name of like Ampex Scully. Those were the name of the recorders. And um, four-track means that that's all there were. The board had 10 channels on it. And when you recorded, you recorded everything. Um, you know, back in, uh, like in like the old movie days. And interestingly enough, uh, that group then uh, disbanded after they guys went, the older guys got in college. And I joined a band when I was in college called Gideon's Bible, which was non-Christian. And then we made a record, and we recorded it, Golden Voice. And then it ended up on the charts in the Indianapolis area, we ended up like, I don't know, maybe up to number 14. It was a big deal because right. it, it opened the door for us to play concerts with Janis Joplin, Chicago, festivals, some small festivals back then, 80, 90,000 people. Those were small festivals. Yeah, wow. <laughs> and uh, we played with the Flock, the Rotary Connection, and some of those bands would say, what? But... At that time, they were very relevant in the late 60s. And so, uh, to make a long story short, that group reformed. Our bass player got drafted. Uh, keyboard player decided to not move from from Bloomington Normal to Indianapolis, where our manager lived. And my brother's keyboard player from Las Vegas came off the road. He lived in Indianapolis. He joined the band. And uh, a guitar player... Uh, joined us from Peoria, Joe Greer, and we formed a group called E. And the, the strange thing was is that we were all, uh, well, we were pretty much vegetarians, and we were studying Eastern philosophy, and we were looking for truth. And our drummer met a little German lady that knew uh, a man of God, and they invited us to, to dinner, and we all went. We were starving uh, musician syndrome mm -hmm. and at that dinner this man told us that jesus was the way the truth and the life i mean it started it's bigger than that i mean he walked in the door and hung up his coat and said praise the lord in the room stop because there are a dozen of us we lived in a seven-bedroom house where there's like 12 of us lived together we had uh, all things in common and uh, we just didn't know who jesus was and when he began to share the gospel with us the it was instantaneous and that whole group committed their life to serving jesus christ that night what year was this 1970 okay october the 25th 1970 and then um the next year e-band was was well we i'll just say this this group was on fire for god and uh i think we probably baptized 2,000 people the first year and the churches didn't want anything to do with them uh, you know they were there were a bunch of ex-hippies mostly which made really good Christians you know love peace joy you know all that exactly. but then you get you get to the author of love peace and joy and what do you get <laughs> revelation of Jesus so uh, you know we we played here and there and we met this guy, and this is kind of to answer some of your questions, which I know where you're going. Sure. Um, we we met a, a youth pastor in Fort Wayne, Indiana, who was uh, 
ex-drug addict, and he was on fire for God, and he invited E to come play a concert in Frompke Park in the summer of uh, 71. And who was the other band playing with us? A band called Dove, and the, the guitar player was Bob Hartman. Oh, okay. And that's where I first met Bob. And so then um, E later uh, disbanded, although I, was, I came back uh, in 72 to fulfill a commitment with, with John Lloyd at Adam's Apple. It was a coffee house, 300-seat coffee house, I might say. I mean, it was pretty serious. And uh, I told John, I said, you know, the band is not, you know, the guitar player went to Milwaukee G's people. We're not doing anything. He said, well, I, you know, I told these people you're coming. If you have to bring an acoustic guitar, you know, you're coming. I said, okay, I'm coming. So I get there, and uh, he comes up and says, hey, I got these guys that are going to open for you tonight. It's their first gig. They're going to the Bible school here at the church. And I said, okay. And he said, they're really loud. I said, good. And he said, uh, I said, well, what, what are they called? Said, they, they don't really know what they're going to call them. They think maybe they're going to call themselves Petra. So Petra's first gig was open for me at the Adams Apple in 71. And at the end of the concert, and I gave an invitation, and people came to the Lord, and, and the two guitar players, Greg and Bob, came up to me afterwards and says, you know, hey, we've been praying the Lord uh, told us that you're supposed to be our lead singer. I went, what? <laughs> so I prayed about it, and uh, I felt like the Lord said, not now. Didn't say yeah. no, just said not now. Was at w that point, I was, was Bob singing lead for Petra at that time, though? Or was someone Bob else? Bob and Greg shared the lead vocals. Now, the music, if you listen to the first album, you'll get a good clue where it was at. Right. So, and it's just, people are just where they are. But, you know, they wanted to grow, and uh, they made it clear that, you know, they needed a lead singer, not just a, a, a guy that could sing back up or okay singer. You know what I'm saying? Right. So, in, um, in, in, I was leading worship in this church in Missouri for a number of years, and they kept sending me tapes and stuff, and then they, they went in to record their first album, and I, I couldn't do it. And they kept sending me tapes, and, and I would say, you know, God bless you, I just not, can't do it right now. And so, at one o'clock in the morning, I am, laying in bed and I'm not, I, I kind of awake and the phone rings. Now back then you had to get up to answer the phone. And uh, this was in 76. And I got up and answered the phone and it was uh, Golden Voice Studios again. And uh, a guy named Terry Jameson who was running the studio said, hey listen Greg, I got Ario Speedwagon in here and uh, listen, Kevin Cohen just walked out. They want to know would you be willing to come in and do the vocals for this band? I said, what? <laughs> um, so anyway, I said, Were you familiar with them at that point? Yeah, because Gideon's Bible, which was a normal Bloomington band, was a rival band of REO. This was, okay. And actually, Gideon's Bible hit the charts before REO Speedwagon ever did. But they, their booking agent, Blytham Agent Limited, in Champaign-Urbana, Oh, I went over there. They brought me out. They wanted me to hang out with the guys and all that stuff. They were trying to recruit me. And it was like, no, no, man, I'm with I'm with Gideon's, man. And uh, then we started doing the big dates, you know, the Coliseum dates with Joplin, Chicago, and, and so on. And uh, 
then the whole band got saved. I mean, what do you do? So when they called me, they said, we know you're a Christian, but, you know, we just need to know if you can sing the material. You know, we're making, in 76, we're making $10,000 a night, and you become very famous, and you'll, you'll make a lot of money. And I just said, I, I don't think I can do that. And they yeah. said, well, okay. And then they, you know, they got Kevin to come back in. But um, six weeks later, I get a call from the same studio in South Peak and Golden Voice. You know who's recording? Petra. Mm-hmm. Their second album. Come and join us. Dan Brock calls me. Their manager says, he just pleaded with me. He said, Greg, please, you've got to come and help us, man. This is not going to work unless you, if you, you get involved here. And so I got on a plane the next morning. And I flew to uh, Peoria, and I sang for 12 hours, maybe. I think I drank about 12, 10 bottles of Coca-Cola, <laughs> which at that time was, you know, legal. Uh, and uh, I just kept singing. I did backup, all the backups on like six songs and a couple lead vocals on a couple of the songs. And and I said, you know, you know, hope this works. And they said, great. And then Word... Uh, was going to release, at that time, Word was connected with ABC, and they were going to release God Gave Rock and Roll to You on a secular format. And they talked the band into picking. They picked all of the songs on that second album. There were a lot more songs, but that's what they picked. Because they were going to try to cross Petra over. And then as soon as they made the album, they changed their mind. And then all of a sudden, people started throwing stones. (laughs) What do you mean God Gave Rock and Roll to You? Why, that's the devil's music. I mean, right. they really, they tried to kill us. Who, who and, was, uh, who, you're talking about the church or? The church, in, the church, the even, uh, the whole religious system. I mean, yeah. they, they, they would preach from the pulpits against us by name, along with Resband and Mylon and different people. You yeah, know, we're know, all going to hell. I know Jimmy Swagger was very good at doing that too. Meanwhile, tens of thousands of people were getting saved in the concert. And, they, uh, somebody decided, uh, you remember the scripture where they hauled the disciples in and they commanded them not to preach in this name anymore, in Jesus' name? Mm-hmm. And one of these real wise uh, uh, Jews said to them, now, wait a minute, it, if this is God, and this is of God, we're going to be fighting against God. So they just beat them and let them go. <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of like people, the church, a number of church uh denominations a few of them decided hey we can we can double our youth group overnight and we can get the parents to come into these churches and and we didn't at that point during the early years the the churches didn't want anything to do with them but later they decided and we had come up with a pretty good program to try to disciple these people that came to the lord so we turned them over to local churches and had them commit to 30 days follow-up I mean, a call every day, and you know, to try to keep this seed growing. And uh, wow, these these youth groups grew like crazy because tens of thousands of people were coming in to these concerts, and not and not just ours. There were other people hmm. that actually gave invitations. Not all of them, but there were there were other groups that that would uh, that were serious about you know leading people to Jesus. Were you so, performing I mean, with Petra? Or were you getting more involved? When did you get more involved with Petra? Yeah, I had been playing drums for the band. Uh, uh, the This was another one of those things. Get it? So You're talking about for Petra? Working, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I, it's, you can't make this stuff up. 
you know, we went through about 10 drummers in like a year and a half. And uh, uh, finally, the group just said, well, I can't. You know, guys are working jobs. They're trying to make a living. They have, you know, they have families. And so uh, everything just shut down. And then Bob ran into a, a guy that had, Rob Fraser had just come out of England working with some evangelists there. And they started the band back up. And so they went in, they got a deal with Starsong to do Washes Water Than. And the first day in the studio, I get a call from the manager, just like the other deal. So the first day in the studio, my and this is a drummer. I had been playing drums for the band, uh, doing dates. Like just playing, were you, and, were you uh, singing at all too, or just playing? I was doing half, I was doing half of the lead vocals from the drums, and Rob was doing the other half from the keys. Okay. And so, uh, and it's kind of crazy. So I said, you know what, guys, I can't do this. So three and a half months drumming, I said, you know, and everything folded up again. Then they get the deal with Star Song. They end up at DJ Recording Studios in Orlando, Florida. And uh, I had to introduce them to a friend of mine named Mike Martin, who was Tanya Tucker's drummer. And But his dad was a preacher, and he wanted to get out of the country thing. And it was a good fit. He was a good singer. He took over my parts. First day in the recording studio... They called me up. Mike got on a plane and left. Do you play drums? Now, here's the fun part. I'd been doing session work at American Artists in Springfield for, I played about three hours a day. I set of drums in my living room. And I'd been playing since I was young, but, you know, that's not really what I wanted to do. So they said, uh, well, here's the deal. We have concerts every weekend for this whole month. But in between Monday through, you know, Sunday through Thursday, we're going to be in the studio recording this new album. So I flew in and played a concert in Tampa, cold. Not even having played with the band. It was, it actually worked out pretty good because I knew the material. Yeah. So, you know, it was a few start and stops. There were no train wrecks. We did tip up on the tracks a couple of times. But, um, and then during the, during the week, I went into the B room and put on headphones and learned all the songs again. And then for about three and a half months, I played drums for the band. Couldn't do it, then quit. Band broke up again, and nothing happened. And uh, Bob started calling me. He was in Nashville. He'd gone through a tough time. And um, he said, I'm working on some stuff. Could, is there any way you could help me with these songs? So I you know, flew to Nashville from Missouri, and he had a four-track. <laughs> and... And it's like he was recording, he was like working on Never Say Die and one other song. And he said, these are pretty good, Bob. And then went back to Springfield and I pulled the coloring song off an old E-band tape from 1971, 10 years earlier. I put it on a cassette and sent it to Daryl Harris at Star Song with Never Say Die and one other song. And a few days later, he called me and he said, Greg, yes, I said, this is Daryl Harris. I said, yeah. He said, this is God. I said, I said what? <laughs> he said, I got the tape. We need to get in the studio now. I said, well, we don't have a contract. He said, I don't care. I said, I don't know if we have a band. He said, I don't care. And so we went into the studio and recorded Never Say Die. And uh, the coloring song went to number one on every single chart, including Southern Gospel, for over six weeks. And Petra became a 10-year overnight success. Yeah. You know what I mean by that? And so, yeah, I mean, people think 
wow, this band came out of nowhere. Look at them. But you guys have been working it for 10 years. So this is 1981 when this, when this happens then. And then uh, it, everything went through the roof at that point, And it was like, so I'm thinking, okay, this is great. We have a number one song on all the charts, and we don't even have a concert. Don't even have a date. And, and Bob had found John Slick and Mark Kelly, and there was a guy named Jeff Boggs who was uh, drumming for the symphony or something that they found. And he said, I got these guys, Greg. They can play. We could do some dates. And I thought, okay. And then um, he was, I think he was working at a parts house pulling pistons or something for like $2.30 an hour. I mean, it, it, everybody was, it was tough. And uh, so I get a call after I made the prayer, you're like, okay, Lord, uh, we need, we need some concerts. I get a call from an old friend, Jim Polisari, which was the head of the Jesus people in Milwaukee. E-Band had spent eight days in Duluth, Minnesota with the Jesus people in Milwaukee in January of 1971. The high during the day was 35 below zero. They just had 26 inches of snow. Okay. And they had sent two couples there on an outreach, and a revival broke out. And by that, I mean in the evenings, every night there were a thousand or more people came out in 80 below wind chill in, in, on, off of Lake Superior there in Duluth every night. And 3,000 people got saved in 40 days. The day we left, they had a, a just a breakthrough. It was a, it's zero for a high. Hmm. And the sun was out. And people were walking around in sweatshirts. It's the weirdest thing I ever saw. We tried to put a quart of oil in our van, and it wouldn't come out of the can. Yeah. I mean, it was very interesting. But so during that time, E was out doing what we did. And um, it wasn't until after E disbanded. And then uh, we went through all this stuff, and I got married and moved to Springfield, blah, 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 blah. And uh, so Jim Polisari calls me and says, uh, hey, we're doing a world tour, and the first leg is three months, five days a week. And uh, the opening band for this band I've got called Servant is Barnabas, and they can't do it because three of the wives are pregnant, and they're all going to be delivering during this tour. And I prayed about it, and the Lord said, call Petra. And so he called me, and I called Bob, and I said, hey, listen, I have an opportunity, and here's the deal. They paid us $300 a night for the band on weekdays, 400 on weekends. And I said, and listen, I can guarantee you $75 a night, five days a week for this for the three months. And he said, man, I've never made that much money in my whole life. Honest, honest to God. And I thought, okay, so he's got John Slick, he's got, uh, and in between that, we were doing a date here and there, and Jeff Boggs had a conflict with the symphony, and uh, so Randy Matthews suggested we try uh, his friend Louis Weaver, and Louis came in and played a, a concert cold without a rehearsal, and uh, I went to his hotel room after the, after the concert and said, you want to be the drummer's band? He said, yeah, the Lord told me. Someday I was going to be Petrus Drummer. I just didn't know when. What was Louie doing before that? He played with Randy Matthews' band. And uh, because he's a, you know, he had a degree in percussion. He graduated with a degree. 
you know, he, he was a, I mean, he knew stuff. You know, he could read music. You know, it's like, when was the last time you had a drummer that could read music? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, not often. But he, but he was, uh, he was really a good fit for the band. And then I went to the bank and I borrowed some money and I bought a 15-foot uh, closed van with a you know van nose and a 15 foot back you know like a mail truck type of thing right. uh, like a you know u-haul type thing okay. and uh i i bought, took some money and customized it and put a benches around the inside six feet back and two little bunks threw down and uh we went on the road in 1982 six with al horning our sound man and the band and we went on the road and we did 300 days and uh we didn't care. We were just having a great time playing. Were you married at and that time? Of, I was married. Okay. Yep. Yep. I didn't know if yep. that, if that, how and, that uh, affected wife, your wife or your spouse. Well, you know, uh, my wife was uh, the daughter of a writer and a uh, uh, a preacher and wrote books, and uh, she was his personal secretary. And you know, we had some kids, and we lived right down the house. And it was like, no, no, go. This is God. Okay. I mean, I got the blessing, but I tell you, I will tell you this: after four years of being on the road for 275 to 300 days a year, you can just about kiss all that goodbye, and that's right. really why I had to give my notice in '85. Yeah. My family was just falling apart, and I was trying to save it. So, I took a year sabbatical. I took 11 months. I didn't do anything, but I went to church on Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, but. Other than that, did, I, you did know, that seem to I make things better for your heal. family? Yeah, it did. Okay, it did. And then uh, there were other there were other problems, but hey, God knows how that mm -hmm. works. And you know, I keep you know sometimes I don't know about you, but I I grew up Catholic, and so I do guilt very well. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've heard that. And uh, have you? And so it was like, oh my God, was, what could I done wrong? But one day the Lord said to me, said, you know. Um, you just have to do the best you can with where you are, yeah. and 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 I'll be with you. And it doesn't. He said it was real clever. He said, "I never said it would be easy." I can imagine one saying, "What?" He said, I never said it'd be easy. I just said I'll be with you. Trust me. And you know, I've been through a lot of paces in fifty-two years of my walk with God. But do you think I'm gonna backslide now? <laughs> no, I, I sure think, hope not. I don't think so. Well, no. let me ask you this: no. when so, when you were with Petra, I was going to ask you about your your your, uh, your songwriting. How how much did you contribute, or were you able well, to? Well, I wrote, I wrote songs. I did. I wrote songs, and I was allowed to put a song or two on a record. But Star Song, let's just say, I'm going to say it this way. I never signed the publishing agreement with Starsong, but my my partner did, which gave them all of his uh, the, the basically control over all of his music, and it made business sense that they would pick his songs for the most part. We had to fight to get another song on the record. There were songs. John Slick wrote songs. I wrote songs, and we got one or two on here and there, but it was more of a business decision, you know, that they. They were going to make the money off the publishing. They owned it. And so, anyway, that's live and learn. 
Well, when but, you when you go to your solo career, is is that all you writing all your material? Did you have help? And also, I was going to ask you, who did what musicians performed on your first solo record? Well, that's very interesting. Uh, during the last six months of my time with Petra, I spent my off time in in Missouri with uh, my closest friend Mike Schmitz, and I bought him some recording gear, and he started writing songs, and I helped to influence his writing and um, he I mean we were very close he knew me so he began to write from my perspective basically like it was me and um, so it was like he gave me a boatload of music and then uh, we tweaked it a little here and there of course and I wrote some all I can do or still waters or whatever with Jonathan and we put that on there too but um, the whole thing about the band coming together was I did not ask anyone to be in my band after Petra. This was a group I called pieces of eight. And one by one, they showed up on my front porch. In some cases, Jonathan was with him and said, Hey, this guy's named Spencer Campbell. He's your bass player. He's 20 years old. He's from Oklahoma. He's the guy. I said, okay. And then, uh, I'm not sure how I, Kirk, he was a, he was selling. She was a shoe salesman in Mississippi at the time. I moved him in for about three months, just like when uh, Joe English showed up at my front door. It was Paul McCartney's old drummer, and he had his own band called the Joe English Band. And uh, I hadn't picked anybody, and he showed up one day, just crying his eyes out, saying, "Joe, you know what's up?" Because we knew him, we'd worked together, mm-hmm. and he said, well, "God told me to come here." And I, I moved him in. Three months, he moved in with me. And he got healed up, and he became the drummer for Pieces of Eight. And okay. uh, Kirk Henderson became my guitar player. And Mike Mike Demas was uh, Bob and Jane Farrell's guitar player at Farrell and Farrell. I don't know if you know who that is, but um, but he went to the same church that I did at Bethel. And one Sunday he said, hey, man, I had this dream, and in it I was playing keys for you. And the glory of God was coming down. He said, I think I'm supposed to be in your band. I said, okay. So the Lord picked every one of my players. And then John Lowry sat in on Joyous Grave because, you know, John was a friend, still a close friend. Uh, and he sat in on that. Phil Cade came on and sat in. Matt, Matt Ward says, well, hey, I want to sing on it. I get a call from Mark Farner from Forner. says, uh, from, um, not Forner, Mark Farner, uh, Grand Funk. And Mark calls me and said, hey, this is Mark Farner. You know, I said, I know who you are. I, said, I, I watched you open for the Dallas Pop Festival every day in 1970, right before I got saved. He said, well, and we, you know, he got saved. He gave his heart to Jesus. And he said, Could I, can I come sing on this record? I said, absolutely. So, you know, that's the way it works. So the River's Rising, in my opinion, is probably one of the best Christian rock albums ever made. Who, who, um, uh, what label put that out? Uh, Merv. Okay. Yeah, uh, when I, I I talked to Star Song and uh, they said, you know, Greg, you would really you'd probably be better if you went with another label. I didn't know that he'd already committed to do another three albums with Bob and Petra because I sold him. I mean, he had to own the franchise, and uh, so um, Lynn uh, Nichols came to me and said, "Hey, listen, you know, we'd like to have you on the label," and I said, "Well, you know." I, I was recording the record. I said, I've already got $100,000 into this record. I mean, uh, 
because it was, you know, back then, $1,000 a day in the studio, and they got musicians, and three months of recording, you know, analog tape type stuff. And uh, they said, no, no, we'll, we'll, we'll reimburse you that, you know. And so I went ahead and signed with them. And um, then the whole market, Christian market, totally tanked because Jim Baker and Jim Swaggart got uh, revealed and they all, I mean, the churches and I, the, they would, the pastors told their youth groups, do not take your people to any of these rock concerts. We don't want to be associated with anybody that looks like, could be anything, you know, it's like, so, and I can tell you that everybody took a tremendous hit in 86. And uh, John Lyry says, you know, Greg, we've, remember last year we played Dayton Arena, you know, he said we had like 5,000 people there. He said, we went there this year, we had 300 people show up. I said, so I'm not the only one. He said, oh, no, Amy, Michael W., all of them, they're all, now, they had the name. I didn't have the name Petra. So when they got signed up with Josh, uh, whatever the guy's name was, with uh, uh, can't think of his name, uh, a, a motivational speaker evangelist guy. Um, uh, uh, never mind. I can't think. <laughs> but anyway, sure. it, 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 he said it saved our bacon. So, I mean, I went out my first tour in uh, 80, the end of 86, lost 110,000 in six weeks. Were you, now, I mean, were you I, who were you were you touring with anybody or were you the headliner? It was it was me. It was just me. Okay. You know, we were doing we were doing small theaters, fifteen hundred seat, you know, theaters. And uh we didn't know that the that they were that the Christian industry told their people don't go to these because they're afraid because these evangelists all, you know, screwed up. Right. Well welcome to life. You know. Let me ask you who hasn't made a mistake. Or who hasn't thought an impure thought? You know, Jesus said, hey, if you think it, you've done it. Oh, oh, boy. Well, that means you're all guilty. And, and so you grew up think, with the guilt, with with that guilt mentality, oh, I too. So, I mean, I already knew. Yeah, yeah you I, knew how. I mean, we're all, as far as I'm concerned, we're all adulterers because you thought it. And so, you know, and, uh, but, you know, God, in his mercy, basically uh, gives you the next course of events for your life. And you, you, you just take another step. So, I mean, I know, I, I mean, I, I had some tough, I had a couple of tough years in there, but you know what? Right. I made it. And uh, you suffer some loss, but you, you know, I just say that uh, the real, when you have a real calling on your life, you can't run from that. You, know you really can't. You know what's funny is um, I used to play in a band in my, my days. I'm 41, but when I was, you know, late. Anyways, the point of this was, I wound up kind of getting to know Jim Baker's son, and uh-huh. and I I had we shared something in common was we had a love or we, oh, I still do for Striper, so <laughs> so we would always talk about Striper and you know coming from who his dad and mom were, and uh, they he seemed like they were supportive of that from what he said. I know Swaggart was the one really um, you know you know hey, listen, preaching against you it. don't throw st- you don't throw stones if you live in a grass house. That's and you know what? Yeah. And uh, came back I, on both, I'm not, all those. I am not going to bash anybody. I'm just no. Saying, I don't want you to. Yeah, they they preached against this. I get it. You know, but the fact is, is that God is bigger, and if it's God's will, He will make a way. So the question is, uh, have you learned the fortitude that the Lord wants you to learn to persevere to get where you're going in this deal? And it's like, 
I don't know. I just think I, you know, when, you know, I, 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 I went solo. I went through a lot of changes. I pastored a couple years in Southern California. I lived in Washington, D.C. I spent my Tuesdays, uh, you know, with ambassadors. And I, you know, I spent, traveled with congressmen and sang before presidents and kings and all kinds of stuff. Weird stuff. You'd, I would have never done it if I'd been with Petra. But through all of it, what I learned was is that God's timing is perfect. So 25 years after I did my last date with, you know, Petra, um, I get this call from a guy who uh, was helping me get my music on digital, which I'd never had before. And he said, I got a guy in Texas. He does all the big concerts in Texas. He wants, you know, with all, he said, I want you, he wants to know, will you put a band together uh, and uh, go out and do 20 days with uh, Whiteheart? And I thought, what? I thought, well, yeah, I guess I could, but, and don't get, no, get me wrong. You ever been the donkey? Where'd you, where'd you say? You ever been the donkey? I don't think so. It came out of your mouth, and when it did, you said, what did I just say? Oh, of course. (laughs) Okay. You know what I'm saying? I I got you now. uh, So anyway, uh, so I said, well, no, I I can't. Why don't you just have Petra do it? And he looked, he said, what? Can you you do that? And I thought, what did you just say? And so I said, well, you know what? I'd have to call my old partner and. So I called Bob and said, hey, Bob, I got a guy that wants, you know, Petra to go out and do 20 days with Whiteheart. And he said, really? Are we talking guarantees? And I thought, okay, I get it. And I said, yeah. And he said, well, I'll have to talk to John. But, yeah, I think I'd like to do that. You know, we need to have all the original guys. I said, you know, I've already talked to Louie. I've already talked to John Lowry. I cannot find Mark Kelly. And for about a month. He was nobody. And finally, I got a, a text from uh, Louis's wife and said, Mark Kelly is in Dallas, Texas. Well, that's where I live. No. So I called the number and I said, hey, Mark, this is Greg, Greg X. You know, give me a call. Nothing. Two days later, I called again and said, hey, Mark, this is Greg again. Would you like to play bass for Petra and go out and do dates? <laughs> he called me right back. <laughs> okay. And he said, he said, you're crazy. I said, yeah. You want to do it? He said, yeah. And so at the same time, our tour manager, uh, our production manager, Mike Noctical, who had been in California and out with every major act you can imagine, uh, sent me an email and said, hey, listen, uh, Yvonne and I are getting ready to move back to Nashville. and just wonder what you guys are doing. I said, well, I think we're getting the band got together. He said, well, I'm in. Next thing I knew it, he makes a phone call to the president of Sony. They get us a deal with Sony, and then he calls William Morris, and William Morris said, well, yeah, Mike, whatever you want to do. And so we had, it's like, boom, 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 what was that? And so then we do a, a video, uh, and TBN puts it out all over the world, and the band's out banging it out again. It's like, and it was like, it was not as easy when I was 35. I want to tell you that. The first <laughs> The first tour we did went to Australia for a week, and we came home for one day, did close, and then flew to Finland, and then did and nine, seven countries in nine days in Europe. 
And it was like, I felt like I've been beat, rode hard, put up with. It's like, holy cow. But the band played good. What what, then, what year uh, was this? Uh, 2000. And we did the video in 2010. Yeah, so I remember it was that. 2011. Okay. 2011. We toured 2011, 2012. And then uh, it got shut down, unfortunately. Uh, not, uh, I'm not going in there. I'm going good. to that. It got shut down. And uh, it's back to, okay, Lord, this is your band. Now, here's the deal. This is God's band. CPR, Classic Petra Resurrection, is God's band. And he knows that. And so I, I just sat on it. And then um, I'm, in 2017, I'm, I'm, I get called from somebody and say, hey, listen, would you go to sing, you know, on Carmen's new record in Nashville? And I said, sure. And so I went to Nashville and sang on Carmen's couple songs on Carmen's last album because he was dying yeah. and uh, he wanted to do did, one more album. Did you know that at the time? Yeah. Okay. I, knew Car- I knew Carmen for a long time. Okay. Back back from the early 80s when he was had just come out of the lounge Las Vegas deal and, you know, did his first Christian album and, and you know, he's like, <laughs> I got stories. But anyway, <laughs> and so, yeah, I've known him a long time. And so... Um, I went and did the, you know, did the deal, and I get there the first day, and the engineer says, Greg, you don't understand. I got 10 people here that are supposed to sing on this because they donated money. And he said, I don't know if they can sing, so go go watch a movie, go have dinner. I'll talk to you tomorrow. So I called John Lyries in Franklin. I said, hey, John, you know, uh, Pam and I are in town. He said, well, I got a session at 5. He said, well, we'll come over for a couple hours to talk. And I said, here, here's the deal. Louie and I have been talking. I am still not released from the call that I feel what God wants to do with this band. And he, Louie and I are going to do another record. He said, well, I want to do it with you. I said, okay. So, uh, you know, it's like, where's the money? You know, uh, I didn't have it. And uh, so, I don't know, some months later, Louie is having lunch with a friend of his, uh, an old friend. He was in San Antonio. And uh, he explains it this way. He says, I'm having, I'm having lunch with this guy, my close friend, and he reached across the table and hands me a check for $10,000 and said, God told me to tell you, you're supposed to do another record. Wow. And he, Louis calls me and he says, Greg, what am I supposed to do? I said, take the money. <laughs> and I called John Lyra and said, John, I have $10,000. He said, let's get started. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we brought another bet, uh, Ronnie Cates, in to play on the record. Uh, Greg Bailey is actually our, our bass player for the band, but Ronnie played another Petra bass player. And we didn't know who the guitar player was. And for whatever reason, Kirk Henderson from The Rivers Rising and Come Out Fighting, my you know old band, he had just given up or turned over his uh, pastoral ship, music pastorship, to somebody else in Louisiana. And uh, he was doing family counseling, and, and he said, I, I want to do it. So I said, okay. So he's going to be playing the upcoming shows. Well, that- he's going to be playing uh, at least he's been he's played all of them up to this point. Uh, the one coming up in Florida in Orlando on the fifth of uh, May, which is the International Christian Music uh, Film and Music Festival. Uh, it's at the Wyndham on the fifth, sixth, and seventh. I May fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth, and. Uh, we're going to go play a concert there. First time we ever done it. Ever had a band come in and do a concert at the festival. I mean, last year, I know that there's one that they have. Uh, my daughter, who's in the business, says that they're having one in Nashville the month before, which is the U.S. one. Mm-hmm. 
And last year they had it here in, in Dallas at the Gaylord, which was, I didn't, I didn't even know what it was. I was so disconnected with the whole deal. And I get a call from my friend Pat Boone. And he says, Greg, I'm going to be in town. You want to come out and say hello? And I said, sure, man. You said Pat Boone? Thought, oh, gosh. Yeah, I've been friends with him for a long time. Okay. He, he's a very dear friend. I'll just say that. I didn't know if you meant you the know? Pat Boone. Yeah, the Pat Boone. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, the Pat Boone. And uh, so anyway, uh, Pat says, he said, you got to come out. He said, he said I'm doing all this uh media stuff for this movie I, i'm co-starring this new movie called the mulligan movie i said what he said yeah i play this old golfer and because we played golf together pat and i and so he said i play i'm this old golfer and he said uh yeah man, i got the i got to drive a maserati and scare the whatever out of this young kid and, and so we go out and spend some time with him and the guy who's producing the movie rick eldridge is my old friend from back in Orlando, Florida that I used to work with for years. He had a studio in the back lot of Universal. My kids were all in television back then. And um, so anyway, we would do a lot of stuff and we played golf together. And but he didn't even recognize me. I mean, I had a, my hair was different and, you know, and, and, you know, Pat, you know, it's like, man, grabs you and hugs you. And, he, and uh, we start talking, start telling about the movie and Rick's just looking. I'm thinking, I'm looking at his name tag going, I know who this is. He doesn't know who I am. So I started messing with him. You know, like, oh, didn't you have a studio in Florida in the back? Yeah, he said. I said, didn't, didn't you play one time? You played with Gary Player up in Aliqua at a. He said, yeah. And all of a sudden his eye went click because <laughs> we played together. And so it turns out he's the producer of this movie. And then I'm looking at all the billboards of of Michael W. and Amy and their movies and television shows. I'm thinking, this is crazy. I had no idea. I'm mean, so out of touch. Well, but, can, can I ask you a question? I don't know if you can yeah. answer that, but how, how come Bob Hartman's not playing the upcoming gigs? He chose not to play with the band. Okay. It was his decision to leave the group in 2012. So is and he just kind of staying retired? You know, he just said, I, I, am not, I'm not, I don't want to do this anymore. Okay. And and in all fairness, you know his wife really didn't want him out on the road, and and he, you know, we're not the young spring chickens we used to be, <laughs> and I think it was it was tough for him, so uh, it was his choice, and so we just I laid it down. It's like God, you know, this is your band, but here's the deal: when a a, a mere miraculous thing takes place, when something beyond you, I didn't make this happen. The reason CPR is together, and the reason we're using classic Petra Resurrection is because I don't want, um, I'm not using the old Petra logo. I'm not, this is, but it is four Petra guys that played with Petra for 20 years, you know what I'm saying? Right. The guy's been around a long time. And we were playing all the classic Petra hits, which are many. And, and the reason we're doing it, and I left this part out, when... In 2010, when I first got that call, and, and the guy said, you know, whatever, and I said, well, I have Petra, and and then everybody said, yeah, and of course I, I talked to the Lord, like talk to you, Lord, what, what what is going on here? Why why now? I haven't even thought about this for 20 years, and it's like a voice from heaven said, because you need to go rescue the prodigals. There are thousands of prodigals that grew up on Petra. They're out there in the highways and byways. They're being picked off. They're not a part of anything, and they they need 
to be rescued. And the music will draw them in. <clears throat> and so, <clears throat> pardon me. So I, I mean, it, it was as clear as if I'm talking to you. Not an all of a voice, but just imprinted in my mind where that you can't see or hear anything else. Clear as a bell. You know, yeah. people say to me, well, Greg, what do you mean God spoke to you? You know, I said, well, yeah, God has a voice. He has a sound. And he said, well, what, what do you mean? I said, well, let me ask you this. If you're in the other room and your mother calls your name, you know it's your mother, right? Uh, yeah, especially when she uses your middle name, right? <laughs> so God, God's voice, is a, there's a sound to it, and you know that's God's voice. Just like you know it's your mother's voice when you're right. Or your father's you, voice. You know it's his voice and not it's an just your voice. Yeah. It, it, and your it thoughts. may sound like your voice, but it's really God's voice, and you know it's God's voice. And, and you, you know it's the Holy Spirit because your heart feels a different way. <laughs> and you and and most of the time, you wouldn't have thought to say that or ask that question. Yeah. Because I ask the Lord questions, and I I get I don't always get answers, but sometimes He says says very interesting things to me because I get a little perturbed over the way things go sometimes. Well, yeah, yeah, and and I get a little, my kind of get, you know, flustered, and I'll say, well, you know, well, well, these people are, and I'm talking to the Lord, you know, these people, and I hear the Lord say, Greg, uh and then you get quiet, and you hear his voice say, people are just where they are. Yeah. Oh, I I deal with the same thing. What? What? That's too simple. People are just where they are? That's right, son. People are just where they are. So, you know, deal with it. I got a couple more questions real quick and I want to wrap this up because I want to be respectful for your time and thank you for what you have uh, sure. given me. Um, kind of going back when you left Petro, uh, how did you feel about when John Schlitt came into the band? What were your thoughts on that? Well, people don't know this. There was a lot of hush-hush when I left, but I gave the band almost a year's notice that I was leaving. Yeah. John, John, I spoke and, to John, and he mentioned this, uh, kind of. Yeah, and I, what they don't know is that in 1982, I introduced John to Petra. John and Darla were friends of mine back before Petra. Before. When he was, after he had left Head East, and he was uh, working out his salvation with Jordan Tremblay. I'll just say it that way. Yeah. And I remember, I, I mean, I was sitting was at his house, and... And he said, you know, Greg, I, we, we had just played the Lincoln Theater, Petra had, in 82, and I introduced John to the band and then went over to his house and spent some time with he and his wife. And, and uh, you know, we had a little prayer time. And here's the fun part. He said, well, you know, we'll just pray God would, you know, open a door. You know, and I said, okay, Lord, you know, I just ask you to open a door for John and blah, blah, blah. Little did I know that that would, that introduction basically brought him to uh in front of the band and it was it was a door for you too in a way well i mean i later introduction you know yeah and and now and i don't mean this wrong but unfortunately after he joined the band um i was not allowed to talk to him anymore it was just i unfortunately it was just a and you know what that's a sad deal because i like john yeah and uh you know, people, we're just where we are. You know, God's orchestrating our lives and everything, and uh, and maybe that'll change. But uh, at this point, you know, we do, we're doing what the Lord has shown us to do. And when he when he put this when he puts Classic Petra back together again, 
and um, uh, we just I knew it was the Lord, and so we're going to do it. And uh, as the Lord leads, and I don't, you know, have a big agent or anything. I don't have William Morris anymore. Uh, we're just working word of mouth. There are people that call sometimes, and I, you know, I have someone who fields uh, all the questions because it can be five days of email questions, and it's like I can't do this. So I, I took my my oldest daughter into it. She's very good at what she does, and she's very diplomatic. She's very kind, and she says, "Well." If this is really serious, this is what you need. You need to have a sponsor first. You need to this first. You need to have this together first. And and a lot of times they're just fans that like to have the band come and play in their hometown because they like us. Mm-hmm. So, but we'll go wherever the Lord opens the door and and can uh, pay for our expenses. And it's not we're not asking fifty thousand dollars for a show either. Just to let you know, uh, you know it's very reasonable, and it's just enough that the guys. Uh, can pay their bills. Who, who do people need to get in it? touch with, or is there a link if they want to reach out and try to get uh, you guys to perform? I think you can go to, uh, you know, if you go to the website, uh, you know, uh, classiccpr.com, classicpetroresurrection.com, gregxvols.com, uh-huh. okay. and uh, com. just send me an email, and I'll, I'll probably turn it over to Jonna, and she'll do it, but if it's at all possible that we can make it work, we'll come and play. But you know that this last two years has been awful, uh, just with the whole lockdowns and yeah. everything. And it's it's been so unfair, and it's starting to open up again. And I know people want to enjoy life again, and I believe that we will. It's just we're getting there. Keep keep going, keep going. And uh, but yeah, gregxvolds.com. Send me an email. I'll be glad to to uh, entertain your 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 request, and uh, I'll I'll put my daughter on it and see if we can make it work. Well, let me ask you one final hypothetical question. I ask all my guests, and maybe you and John Schlitt. I asked him this, and he actually had an answer. Where you, you'll see what I'm saying when I when I ask you, if you could see a concert from any band that's ever existed, any time period. You have a time machine. You can go see this band. Who do you want to see? Or may, and, and, and I asked John that, and I said, well, maybe you have seen them, and he, and he had. It was Journey, back with Steve Perry. But I'm asking you, any band, any time period, what concert do you want to see? Well, I've seen, I've seen those, those bands in Genesis. I mean, you know, Yes, Genesis, and... You know, Kansas, and I've seen those bands. They're all really good. Uh, but I would probably like to see Andre Cross and the Disciples. Um, okay. I'm, Andre was, again, again, Andre was a very good friend of mine from the early 70s on. And uh, I, I say that because if he, when he comes over to your house and has dinner with you after a concert, that's a pretty good indication. And I've worked with him on the set. I've worked with him in, in production, in film and stuff and uh i i and uh and uh i love the fact that fletch wiley was just such a great uh reed instrument player saxophone i mean it's just the best but i thought yes was one of the best secular concerts i've ever seen okay um and it's uh it's funny because when you know back in the days in nashville it was municipal it was not a big, it was, I think, 10,000 seats, you know, 
an old arena. And when we would go to those shows and, and uh, we would get VIP tickets to the Kansas show and stuff like that. And Louis, Louis, he said, man, someday I, I just, I just want to, someday I, I just hope I could play here. You know, like that was his big dream. And then in 1985, we did a show there. You know, Amy and her husband came backstage before and said, hey, let me just tell you. And again, these are acquaintances, friends, you know, went to the same church, stuff like that, but in Nashville. But uh, just they want you just we're so glad that you guys are doing this because it's breaking all the barriers. And uh, and we didn't fill it. I think we had 8000 people there that night. But it was a great concert. And uh, so our, our, our road manager is talking to all of the union guys at, at Municipal. And they make an indication to him that the best three concerts they've ever seen at Municipal were Genesis, Yes, and Petra. How's wow. that for a kid? That's high it praise. The, the, the Captured in Time and Space tour was just over the top i mean it was god was just all over it and the guys played really good you know of course you play all the you know when you're playing all the time you don't have to think like oh let's see are we going to the chorus here mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you can be you can be distracted real easy oh, uh, sure but anyway it's good so i would say uh secular probably yes and that was when Trevor Rabin was playing guitar with him, and and, and that's a that's a see that's a little inside story. We had just played two nights at um, the Atlantic Civic. Uh, it's a forty six hundred seat auditorium. We did Friday Saturday night, and we were heading over to uh, to do the Grammys on Tuesday. And our booking agent John Huey, who also booked the Police and other people like that. Uh, said, Craig, come early. Let's go early. We'll play some golf, you know, and I thought. And so I got an earlier flight, and we were flying into LAX, and this guy picks us up at the airport and drives. he drives us to the Forum, which is, you know, where they used to play all the basketball games, right? 18,000 seats. And we're driving up, and these people start moving these barricades, and he drives right up to the Forum Club, and we get out. I'm going, who is this guy? I didn't know. He was the promoter. Uh, that night, Prince was playing his sixth sold-out concert at the Forum. And so before we went to the concert, we are going to the Forum Club, which is a really exclusive whatever. And in there, I run into Trevor Raven. And he's telling me how much he loved the man. <laughs> huh, how cool. And Yeah, it is cool. So then he gives me a ticket on the fourth row. Dead center. He said, "You'll be sitting next to Herb Alpert's daughter or something." And I had an all access, and I thought, you know what? This is too good. Uh, these people—they're just dancing like crazy, and it's just perfect. So I got out of the seat, went back to the soundboard, and it was an eight-track reel-to-reel, one inch, and all of it was on tape except the lead vocal. Oh, <laughs> well, no wonder it sounded yeah. so good. Of course, and I'm thinking, really well. I mean, the newsboys used to do that, too. Don't get me wrong. So, anyway, it, it, it's just one of those things. <laughs> yep. When we started playing again, we said, you know what? Let's just be the Rolling Stones. Just click it off and play. Yeah. And when we were doing this, we did this uh, cruise. It was a Christian cruise, and it was a uh, uh, guy, I don't know. I don't know who the bell Newsboys, uh, Switchfoot, blah, blah, blah. There were about 12 bands. 
it was a great cruise. It was all music. We did two shows in the week, and we did other stuff, you know, interviews and stuff. But so the the, the one night we're playing in the in the uh, the back of the boat, which is like seventeen hundred seat auditorium, and uh, so uh, we're up there, and my wife is standing back by the soundboard, and uh, and she said all of the other bands were all back there in the back on the back wall watching these old guys and she said they started talking she said where's where's the click where's the click and they said, i don't hear a click and pam said they don't play the click they, said, they don't play the click and i thought <laughs> it was just old school yeah so uh but i will tell you this the click can be your friend it really can uh and i i'm not I'm not begrudging anyone to play to it. We, we play a click in the studio because you can't edit if you're not. There's no editing. You, you're, you're goofed. You uh. So you know the band Skillet. Are you? I know. I know the uh, band. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar uh, with them. Mm-hmm. I uh, I'm a drummer, and I the, when their first drummer left, I auditioned to be their drummer, and I never had really played with the click track, and I was so nervous when I was playing that I was getting off a little bit, but I was too scared to tell them that I couldn't hear the click track in my ears. You so, got to turn it up. You, you know what? You can go above it and below it. Just come back on one. Yeah. Okay? Well, <laughs> it, it kind of hurt me there. I mean, it's years ago. They're like, well, you're the most aggressive drummer we've had coming here. I'm like, eh. <laughs> but that was like the first, my first experience with the click track was auditioning. Really with different. Skillet. Quite different, isn't it? quite different oh yeah but when you learn to play with it oh i'm good now yeah i mean when you learn to play with it it actually disappears it it disappears you you walk in and you don't even hear it it's just but for you uh, and and i've got you know got you can push through a field being i'm a drummer myself so you can push through a field and then you pull back to one yeah you got to be careful with those with those fills with the click because that's where i can find myself getting off a little bit yeah, just a little. You can push just a little bit. You have to come back to one. Otherwise, everybody's going, the train wreck, train wreck. Right. Well, well, Greg, I appreciate you joining the show. Um, you know, I want to leave you with any last words you would like to tell people out there listening. I would say that if you're in Chattanooga and you can make it to Atlanta to that concert on uh, the 20th of uh, May at, um, uh, what's the name of the church it's going to be at? It's, Restoration. Well, it got moved, so now it's going to be at the Restoration Church in Alpharetta, Rest- Georgia. Restoration Church. That's fine. That's fine. That's close to Atlanta, is it not? Yeah, Alpharetta is metro uh, Atlanta metro. area. Okay. It's it's probably about it, 30 it, minutes. If you like the old Petra, classic Petra stuff, you will have a good time. I'm going to tell you, I am going to I am going to preach. Okay. I'm going to share the gospel. And if you have any non-Christians that are on the edge or whatever, say, hey, you going to see a rock cup? Bring them, because they're going to get a chance to uh, invited to uh, receive Jesus at the concert. Okay? That'd be awesome. Yeah, I think that's why, That's really why we do what we do. I love music. I love playing, but it's about people's lives being changed. And I I know music has a big part of part of that, but, but the Lord is the only one that really can change a life. In the heat of the early morning On a hill they call the sky